There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. That's the main episode of the month. Uh, you heard the what's happening in the skies for August. Now I've got to turn up this fader and bring up Mr. Burger. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> doing great, man. It sounds like you're bringing up something yourself there, actually. <laughs> well, you know, bronchitis does that. It it's not fun, but you know, I'm alive. So many other conditions out there, I'm not going to complain about bronchitis. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. For anyone who doesn't know, bronchitis basically comes in two stages. You've heard of asthma, you've heard of pneumonia. This is kind of like in the middle. And for the first like 10 days, week to 10 days, you feel like you've got this thin layer of concrete on the inside of your lungs. So you can feel the stuff in there. You have trouble breathing. You, you, you know how you get that rumble sometimes when you have a buildup in your chest? Yeah. So you get that, but then your body's like, oh, there's something in there. I better cough it out. And you're coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing and nothing's coming out. So then your throat ends up like this after a week. And then the second part of it is where the virus is starting to taper down. And that's when all that stuff in your lung decides, hey, I want to leave. So, yeah, you got that going. So, uh, yeah, it's like two to three weeks where I haven't been able to go anywhere or do anything because coughing fits or, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah, that, that's been my month. Yeah, not good. Lots of fun. July was basically ruined for holiday stuff, for, you know, summer vacation and so forth. Because every single day in July, someone in my family was sick. So, yeah, it's been a very boring month. Um, we've mentioned Dan White in the past about the different escapades that he gets involved with through his fight for inclusion, disability rights, and all the other bits and pieces that he's involved with where I never seem to find how, how he fits it all in, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, he's been on local radio a lot recently, and... He's also recently been mentioned on uh, national television in, in the UK, and I thought I'd play that in. Have a listen to this. Welcome back to Life Break. We're still joined by Sally Phillips. An example, uh, Sally, uh, you've recently got involved in a, a comic book about uh, disabled superheroes, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, I've got a child with special needs and there's yeah. a whole... Uh, parents with special needs kids become quite feisty and, like, a bit insane uh, warriors, you know. My, and my friend Dan yeah. uh, has a daughter called Emily who uses a wheelchair and uh, when they were looking for books when she was a kid, they couldn't find any uh, that represented children like her. So he gave up his job and drew one. Right. And it's called the Department of Ability. You've got some, have you got some pictures of it? We don't have any no, pictures of it. No, you don't have any pictures of it. Oh, well, um, I've, d I've done that well by giving them to you. <laughs> 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 anyway, it's really good, and after the show, I'll tweet about it. And oh, excellent. And we're hoping to get a publisher for it. Brilliant. So, yeah, that was on a, a Channel 4 TV show called The Last Leg, which is a TV show with... Uh, they've got three hosts. You've got uh, Adam Hills, you've got Alex Brooker, and you've got Josh Widdicombe. Alex and Adam are both disabled. Josh hasn't got a disability, although the in-joke with the show is that he's ginger. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, the, the the show was made up of these three guys who got together for the Paralympics in London 2012, um, and it was a show to bring out the best. At the end of the day, they called it the last leg because it was the last program or the last show in the day to do with the Paralympics, and it just brought out the best of it. Channel 4 then went on some right let's see if we can do it not just about the Paralympics but outside of when there's not a Paralympic year on that they could do it about stuff that's going on in the, in the news and the media and social media and everything else and uh, yeah it's been going ever since and there you heard Sally Phillips who is a comic over here she's a, a comedy actress as she said she's got a, a child with special needs and she's a very good friend of Dan's and uh, wanted to promote uh, Department of ability on the show nice so it's good to hear the word getting out there about dan mm-hmm. last month we spoke about copenhagen suborbitals then their upcoming nexo 2 launch now it was supposed to be taking place well they had three different windows didn't they for launching and it um they, they missed the first one because of technical issues and they actually managed to get it to launch on the second attempt they uh, did which was on the 4th of august now for you that was silly o'clock in the morning was, i still saw it i was <laughs> up for it whilst you were waiting for it to launch you you were there doing 3d printing <laughs> Wait, how would you know? Because you Did told I say me. Something? You told me. <laughs> what was I printing off? My guess is that th- those two Lex Primes that I printed off for Tenocon, I shipped one out to one of the voice actors who went ballistic for it. All right, cool. And he just went nuts. He-, he loved it. His reaction at Tenocon when I when he saw it on my hip and I handed it to him was like a kid opening up a Christmas present. <laughs> he-, he went nuts. So I was like, you know what? I'll send him one of them, and uh, I did. I, I, I brought both of them home, completely ripped them apart, except for the actual base gun unit itself, and repainted everything and printed off what new parts needed to be printed off, and I sent out a, I sent out one of the guns to him, and I sent out the other one up to the team up at uh, Digital Extremes. If I was printing something off, it was because I'm making another one of those for me. Right. So my guess is that's what that was. <laughs> that was an amazing launch, though, wasn't it? That was cool. For for, that a, was cool. for a voluntary group of people, it was so professional. Yeah, I mean, we had a solid stream. You know, okay, yeah, when they were out in the water, yeah, it was a little bit flaky, but whatever. But once that thing went up in the air, those feeds, those video feeds were solid. Because they had three different camera feeds coming from that yeah. thing, didn't they? pretty amazing and they managed to keep up with it most of the way as well Mm -hmm. uh, which was really cool and on the 29th of august they are inviting the public to a debriefing event of the nexo 2 mission and launch so you'll be able to hear what they have learned and what the plans are for the future and it'll also give you a chance to talk with their volunteers and hopefully see the rocket and the ships that they have if they're back from the the launch area because they're still in that kind of vicinity at the moment. Tickets are available from the Copenhagen Suborbital's website, but they have confirmed with me this afternoon that they won't be streaming the event, but they are hoping to record it and post it up later. Hmm, I wonder why. So, yeah, I asked them this afternoon saying, would this event be streamed? And they said, afraid not, but we are hoping to record it. So, huh, that's weird. They're hoping to record it? 
Uh, they haven't confirmed whether they are or not. Kind of odd if it's their debriefing and so forth. Mm. It's what they call a public debriefing. So it's not like a press conference or anything. It's just an event where people can actually visit the, the site and uh, talk to the huh. people involved with the mission. Also, we mentioned in the last episode that the Parker Solar Probe was due to launch on the 4th of August, but this was delayed until the 11th of August, and then that launch was scrubbed due to a gaseous uh, helium system alarm sounding with only minutes of the uh, launch window left. The Delta IV Heavy eventually launched 24 hours later on August the 12th. That is quite an amazing rocket to see. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was also at stupid o'clock in the morning my time, and I still was awake to see it. <laughs> yes, it was at a similar time, wasn't it? I yeah, think. something like that. Yeah, yeah. We, we know it's launched. Um, the Parker Solar Probe will use a Venus gravity assist during seven flybys over nearly seven years to gradually bring its orbit closer to the sun. Its first Venus flyby will be in late September of this year, and its first close approach to the sun, already closer than any spacecraft has ever gone before, will occur in November of this year. Uh, On the final three orbits, the Parker Solar Probe flies to within 3.8 million miles of the sun's surface. The current record holder for a close solar pass is the Helios 2 spacecraft, which was seven times farther away than that. The Helios 2 came within 27 million miles of the sun's surface back in 1976. And I love how you say that it will gradually make its way to the sun when it's going to be going at roughly 700,000 kilometers an hour. Yeah, that's that's 430,000 <laughs> miles an hour. Um, that's fast. <laughs> It's still slow in the whole scope of things, though, and when you think of sci-fi and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It's got nothing on light speed. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the whole thing, they, they mentioned it actually on the commentary, that that's fast enough to get from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. in one second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just rapid. Yes, it is. But see, you, you've been to the States. You understand that distance. Uh-huh. We've never been to the States. Don't realize how big this country is sometimes. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. We're, we're a big country. <laughs> Especially when you figure some of our states are bigger than some of your European countries. Yeah, that is true as well. Well, Russia is like one-sixth of the land mass of the world, and they've got 130 million, I think. Yeah. But then you look at the size of Russia and the size of the areas where there's nobody there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of barren land in Russia. Oh, yeah. Mind you, the States has got a lot of area where there's nobody there as well, so... Yeah, the Great Plains mostly, you know, the Midwest area. Mm -hmm. The the population's mostly on the uh, East Coast. Whilst we're talking about uh, space probes, I only found this out at the weekend through watching the sky at night and the european space agency are also sending a probe to our star it's not very imaginative in the name of it it's called the solar orbiter it's not nasa so they don't have to do an acronym (laughs) well the the parker is not an acronym strangely it's no, not true, but it is at least named after a site who was actually there to see the yeah, launch. That's was. pretty cool. I thought that was brilliant. Now, the, the solar orbiter is currently being built here. 
in the UK by Airbus Defence and Space at their facility just up the road in Stevenage. Uh, I really need to arrange a visit to the facility. So if there's anybody out there that has contact with Airbus Stevenage, please get in touch. I'd love to visit the facility. They've got a, uh, a Mars yard there with um, a couple of Mars rovers on there, which re- you know recreates the, the terrain on Mars. The Solar Orbiter, which will be the first satellite to provide close-up views of the Sun's polar regions, which are very difficult to see from Earth, it will be able to almost match the Sun's rotation around its axis for several days, and it will also be able for the first time to see solar storms building up over an extended period from the same viewpoint. It will also deliver data of the side of the Sun that is not visible from the Earth. The launch is currently pencilled for 2020 and its journey to the sun will require a cruise phase lasting approximately three years. During this time, the instruments will be commissioned. During the cruise, like the Parker Solar Probe, the Solar Orbiter will use gravity assist from Venus and Earth. United Launch Alliance will provide the launcher and this has only been confirmed recently basically because they wanted to see how the launch went with the uh, Parker Solar Probe so obviously it's going to be launched the same way Mm -hmm. and NASA will also be contributing to some of the instruments on board in the context of the International Living with a Star initiative which I've never heard of that one before no (laughs) I'll have to look into that one so it's another collaboration between NASA and um, ESA. Nice. It's going to be an interesting time over the next few years for uh, solar observation, I suppose you can call mm. it. <laughs> now, we're going to take a short break. Um, this show isn't going to be a space-related show, but I wanted to get those two things out because they were pretty major. When we come back... Alan Taylor Shearer and I will be teaming up for an event that we've been looking forward to for a little while. We'll be heading down to High Wycombe for the Wycombe Film and TV Con. Do you desire a place to get away? How about three? You truly belong here among the clouds on Bespin, the first stop on your Star Tours getaway package. Stay and play in the clouds and enjoy the spectacular Galaxy in the Skies fireworks pageant every single night. The fun continues on the forest moon of Endor, where you'll sleep under the stars with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. Your third stop brings you to the peaceful world of Alderaan, where you can relax in a natural wonderland, recently voted safest planet in the galaxy by Hyperspace Traveler. This Star Tours getaway package is three times the fun in one, so ask your travel consultant to book yours today. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks thanks to innovations happening today. 
NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and space launch system rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the red planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. This is TGP Nominal. So, uh, we've made it to High Wycombe, and I'm um, with Alan Taylor Shearer. How are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm very well. I got a little wet, uh, a little dry, and a little hot and a little cold on the way down on my motorbike. It was four seasons in one day from Norfolk down to High Wycombe. But it was a good run. I enjoyed it and uh, what a great day. Yeah, it's a small venue. It's lots packed in. There is a lot going on and uh, it's starting to pick up a bit now. Hmm. Uh, they've got a nice little collection of um, signers at the back of the hall. And um, yeah, a lot of storeholders about. And um, I think the organisers can do, do himself proud with this one I think yeah I think uh, because this is the first one isn't it uh, yeah this for this, this, this yeah. organisation yeah yeah um, for, for a first for a first go um, they've done a really good job they've, they've brought the right people in they've got it set as you would expect Con to be lots of merch lots of cosplayers lots of people from TV and film that people will recognise people will want to meet people want to chat to and they are doing um, and, and it's good to see as well that um, Ted's here so we've got front of camera and behind the camera yeah you know because that, that gets missed a lot I think the guys that actually make it happen yeah um, they, yeah. they, get, they do tend to get missed at these things it's, it's Ted, Ted is, a, is a bit of a legend really because it's a, what we call the, the unsung heroes hmm. and um, to actually hear some of the things he was saying about behind the scenes back in 1976 yeah. um, it was great because these guys they didn't have the special effects that they put now they had to invent the special effects yeah you didn't just put a bit, bit of green cloth up and act and stand in front of it and all of a sudden you're in a prehistoric world that's it you, know, you had to actually physically make the prehistoric world and paint it <laughs> I mean uh, the, the Death Star the uh, X-Wing run scene the, mm. on the top of that that was made up by thousands and thousands of airfix kits yeah and uh it must have taken ages to build that kind of stuff. It's nice to see a lot of these practical effects are returning to big films. I watched the Solo, the latest Star Wars thing recently. Um, great film, enjoyed it. A lot of practical effects in there, though. You know, yes, there was some, there was some CGI and all that kind of stuff, or whatever they want to call it these days. Um, but I did see a lot of practical effects, and it was nice. That made it real. I think since the in, the reinvention of Star Wars with the the Force Awakens, uh, I mean JJ Abrams sort of kind of broke the mold with that one because mm. he was he wanted to do everything was practical effects. Mm. There was animatronics. He wanted to shoot it on film. He didn't want to do it digitally. Wow. So 
he tried so to was it actually shot on film? It was shot on celluloid. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realise. <laughs> and that's why it had that feel of the original, yeah. the original movies. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I was listening to. I've been listening to a lot of. Um, I listened to a hell of a lot of radio, old comedy and old drama from 50s, 60s, 70s, and one of the programmes that has been redone from uh, original scripts and uh, it's the character's Paul Temple now he's a, he's a private investigator that kind of thing. but they remade some of the episodes from the original scripts because they'd been lost but they didn't just read it and record it digitally they used microphones from the 1950s wow you know they, they mixed it on an original analogue desk so that you weren't just hearing the words you were getting the sound and the feel of how it would have been in the 50s and 60s and and even the 40s when they were recording this stuff first or or doing it live as they would have done then you know Um, so so you would have had that that warmth yes in the in the vocals it would have been you know just oh, oh definitely definitely you know you're stood in front of those one of those big coffin shaped microphones with bbc written on it that's exactly as the actors that did it back in the 40s and 50s would have done so you do get the same feel you do get the same response we've seen the resurgence in vinyl cassettes are coming back um vinyl for the hipsters but now more and more people like me are starting to get their old vinyl out as well um, there's just something about analogue and there's just something about practical, real stuff that mm-hmm. just appeals to me as a human being. Yeah, you're right. The analogue stuff which is making a bit of a renaissance um, is fantastic. And it, it's good to see that at places like this, that um, you can mix the, the new crowd with the old crowd. And like Ted was saying to me... Uh, that you know with the new movies coming out people seem to forget the guys that were there at the start yes and that's where we come in because we like to keep those stories alive that's right I mean it's good being, being good to talk to Clem Sale who's somebody's front of camera he's recognisable um, he's been in so much stuff loads of people are making a beeline for him but talking to Ted was a really nice experience I mean, he was, he was showing me the, the, the call sheets mm. from the original uh, cantina scene. I'm looking down the list and I'm seeing people that I know that I've spoken to in the past. Yeah. And Sat next to Greedo. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. actor that plays Greedo. Blake, yeah. yeah. Which I haven't got around to interviewing yet, but I will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will be be a, uh, interesting to... Are to, you going to ask him the question? I've got to ask him the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, the question has to be asked for you guys. It's just for you. Right. <laughs> and uh, it, it's good to see him here. I mean, um, a good mix of old school and, and new school um, sci fi mm. out there. Mm. And um, oh, yeah, I think people are really enjoying themselves today. Excellent, yes, yes, indeed.
So there you go. We were at the Wickham Film and TV Con. Now, not to be confused with events that we covered in the past, because we covered events at Wickham before, which was the Wickham Film and Comic Con. Now, this is pretty much a completely new crew of people getting involved, apart from one individual, Leon Yearwood, who was involved with the uh, the old setup. I'd like to thank Leon for inviting us along, and also. Also Keith Champion, who uh, is also one of the head guys at Area Events, who put on this convention. We mentioned there a guy called Ted. Now, Ted is Ted Weston. Unfortunately, Ted didn't want to be recorded, which was unfortunate. Um, I can understand his reasons. He's got personal reasons why he didn't want to be recorded, but he did go through a lot of stuff with me. He's got books and books of documents and as I mentioned there the cool sheets from the cantina scene and if he was to release these documents as books I think he'd make a fortune I mean there's enough of the fandom out there that probably would do it this guy has been involved in so many different things he was a freelance prop master for pretty much most of the uh, movie houses in the UK and he's worked on the first two Superman movies. Oh, so you mean the only two good Superman movies? Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, a lot of the carry-on movies. As you said, he worked on Star Wars, which he had a small role. He was actually in the cantina scene. Nice. And he was actually standing next to Alec Guinness in the cantina. Basically, they didn't have enough people to populate the cantina. And they were going out to the floor saying, is there any guys in the prop department that can actually fill costumes? And he said... That's funny. Yeah, I'll do that. So, uh, yeah, he got a a small part (laughs) in the film. It's just weird to hear here now because we know what Star Wars is and to hear that, yeah, they actually had trouble filling roles for the original. Now you were like, yeah, 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 everybody wants in. Yeah, now it's like, you need me for a small part? Drool, drool, I'll pay you for that, you know. (laughs) It's just weird to hear that. But yeah, he's a lovely guy and his wife was lovely as well. And uh, when we weren't talking about uh, the movie industry, we were kind of putting the world to rights and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also mentioned a guy there called Paul Blake who played Greedo in the cantina scene. Mm-hmm. He wasn't giving interviews either. He wanted to, but he'd turned down other people and he ah. said that if I did it for me, then he'd have to do it for other people as well. That's fair. So, um, you know, it's, they're not obliged to be interviewed. If they don't want to, they don't want to. But I did have a lovely chat with him off the mic as well. He's mm-hmm. a lovely guy. I did actually ask him the question, who shot first? And he said, who do you think? <laughs> I think that's pretty much been known for a while. <laughs> People who were working on the set that day saying he wasn't supposed to shoot first or anything. So that, that's kind of been debunked that that's what he wanted to do from the start anyway. Mm-hmm. It was nice to hear Alan Taylor Shear talking about the practical effects and, and going back to analog and so forth. I'm, I'm in his camp on that one. Yeah, it's a nice feel, isn't it? You just get that warmth that you don't get from digital. It's not even so much that. MB3s are great. They're portable. You buy it right now, and you can listen to it in a few seconds when it downloads. I am not anti-MP3 whatsoever. But there's something nice about the tangibility of it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I got an album that was released. I think it might have been an Amazon exclusive where if you bought it through Amazon, Meatloaf would actually sign the album. So I've got an autographed Meatloaf album. Cool. You know, and, and so many songs, so many songs, uh, so many albums are coming out now on colored vinyl or designed vinyl. Yeah. I have not seen any records come out as of late that come on black vinyl unless they were meant <laughs> to emulate but the time of black vinyl. Like, I don't know if you've heard of a game called Cuphead. Um, I know the name, yeah. It's a really hard-as-nails platformer, but the whole game was designed like the old 1920s cartoons. So the soundtrack comes on really heavy gauge for record set. So really thick vinyl. The pages look like they're old and worn, like they're from the 1920s. The fonts look like they're from the 1920s. And you know me, Poets of the Fall. Mm-hmm. I freaking love Poets of the Fall. Last year, they released their latest album, which is on white vinyl, autographed by every single member of the band. They only made 50 of them available on their website. Guess who has one? <laughs> you can't get that with MP3. Now, granted, you can't take a record player with you everywhere you go. You know, you, you can't put a record player on your phone to listen to it while you're on, the, you know, traveling. I get it. I get it. But there's still a nice tangibility when it comes to stuff like records and practical effects I'm totally with them yes CGI is good and yes it can absolutely enhance a scene but maybe it's just because I look for it I don't know sometimes I try not to but sometimes you can look at something and even if it's really well done say that was computer generated Mm -hmm. you can just tell I mean there's certain things you cannot do practically and you go yeah (laughs) I'm totally with them on that one so I'm here at Wickham Film and TV Con, and I'm with the one and only Clem So. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well, thank you. Now, for people who might not, might not know you, what, what have you been in? Um, I've been in a lot of uh, films uh, that you might have heard of, uh, things like The Force Awakens, uh, recently The Last Jedi, uh, two Marvel films. I've worked on Doctor Strange as one of Kamatage's disciples, and I was a kiln prisoner in Guardians Galaxy, James Bond Spectre, 10 episodes of Doctor Who. You get a lot of people come and see you about your time on Doctor Who, don't you? I, I do, because um, I've worked with Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi, and I do get featured a lot, and I play two of the creatures. I played a clockwork droid, and recently in last season as a space corpse or zombie in Ox- the episode Oxygen. I know that episode very well, because Peter Capaldi mentioned about that... Uh, space is always trying to kill you and uh, we cover all things space and sci-fi as well so it just fitted in excellently with what we wanted to do so yeah so I know that episode quite well so what got you into uh, the acting scene well my brother used to do background extra work and then he got a great part in um, the film Casino Royale uh, he played in the poker scene. He was, he was cast as a, um, a cast member. His, his uh, character was Mr. Fukutu. And he has a very similar look to me, so sometimes people do confuse me <laughs> with him. He's got the long grey hair as well. And, yeah, he just said to me, you know, you've got a very similar look. Why didn't you join a few agents to give it a go? Uh, so one of my first movies that I worked on was 47 Run with Keanu Reeves. I was one of the foot soldiers on there, and then they upgraded my armor to a Ronin, which I was very pleased about. And um, and then I got a small role in uh, Doctor Who. I think my first job was uh, Angel Take Manhattan, um, which where I played the pottery painter. 
where he goes back to China in 221 BC. Uh, and it's just gone on from there. I've just uh, got more jobs and I, I think I'm, now it's got to the stage where if I work in a movie and I, uh, people know who I am, you know, before I come on this, they know who I am, they know what I can do, they know I can perform. And um, you, you mentioned that uh, you've, you've been training with people like David Yip. Yes, uh, um, I did um, a workshop with him, a creative Chinese, Chinese creative workshop, um, because it, often in um, TV and movies, you don't see many British-born Chinese, um, which I am, uh, um, who have any parts at all, or predominant parts. So. I'd like to think in my small way, uh, uh, if I, you know, make any success in film and TV, that I can have an influence on the youth, the Chinese youth, uh, who are in my position where they don't have any role models. So uh, it feels like I'm creating value for them as well as myself. And this, I think, was what um, David Yip, who was also born in this country, was, was trying to do. It is great to see more diversity in, yep. in television and film work. And it is starting to come through now. Unfortunately, not enough. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, being Chinese, a lot of stereotypical roles. And as you can see on my table, some of them uh, do look stereotypical. But um, it's always nice if I'm casting a part where I feel like, well, you know, that's um, really breaking the mould here. They're using colourblind casting, say, where, where they take different ethnic backgrounds. Maybe it's not historically correct. But the, you know, they're giving an opportunity to uh, young actors or actors of different diversity, it, um, giving them an opportunity to work. Because um, I think that's that's you know that's I feel like needs to change, and it's very slow. But yeah, I think we're we're seeing a little bit of that. Is is that something that you'd like to try and make a push towards yourself? Go, try and promote those kind of things. Well, I mean. Uh, well, I don't think I'm anywhere near successful enough to, to, to do that. But yes, of course, if I was in a position to, yes, of course, I would speak for, for diversity. Absolutely, 100%. Awesome. Well, Clem, it's been an absolute honour talking to you. And um, hopefully we'll speak with you again. My pleasure. And say big hi to everybody in, in High Wickham. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. So, yeah, that was Clem So, and he's been in quite a lot of different things um other films that he's been involved in he was in uh, ready player one um he's also been in the assassin's creed movie so, oh nice so yeah he's he's done a quite a, a large range of different things but to appear 10 times in doctor who is is pretty cool and i'm meeting him again soon actually because he'll be at field of force day oh cool uh, so I'll be meeting up with him and there's another guy that I'll be talking to in this episode that I'll be meeting up with at Field of Force Day as well um, you may have heard uh, and it's always the same at these conventions you hear a lot of noises and things in the background whilst I was talking to Clem you heard this big clang yes uh, what uh, was going on uh, a, a bit of the Iron Throne fell off oops um, <laughs> came and didn't I road. also hear R2 take a tumble or at least he made that scream he did make that scream a couple of times um, and you you may have also heard um, a Ghostbusters proton pack uh, being turned on and off a couple of times as well <laughs> <laughs> nice okay so I am at High Wickham film and TV convention and uh, I'm talking with Miltos Yerolimo y- um, now you're most famous for being in Game of Thrones, aren't you? Yeah. 
that's kind of why I'm here, I reckon. That's the, the major role that people know me from, yeah. So you're renowned also for being a bit of a swordsman, aren't you? Yeah, I play Sirio Pharrell, so I was um, Arya Stark's uh, sword teacher. And uh, it's something that I actually could do a little bit of before I got the job. In fact, I think that was the reason why I got the job, because they were looking for people who who uh, could, who had a certain ability to do that stuff because obviously we don't have a lot of time to rehearse or practice choreography when you're making TV shows. So, uh, and as, as all my scenes were lessons, um, it was kind of quite hard to kind of do cutaways and use stunt doubles. So, um, so yeah, and the great thing about it, of course, is that I got, I got to learn even more about sword, uh, sword mastery. Uh, by working with uh, William Hobbs, who was kind of like my mentor on the show. So, you, you, you say you had the some ability in, in swordsmanship as uh, before you started the show. Um, how did that come about? I worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and uh, there's a lot of duelling in those Shakespeare plays. So that's kind of where I got introduced to it. Wow. So, so you've worked, you've done work with the Royal Shakespeare Company. What, what kind of um, productions have you been involved in? Um, when I first joined, joined them many years ago, when I first started my uh, career, I did um, the very first... I guess what you would call non-classic Shakespeare play that they'd done over that they had done over Christmas, which was *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, which was their first big family show, and uh, I played Mr. Reaper Cheap in that, and uh, who is another thing with a sword, interestingly enough. Um, so, so that was the first show I did, and then after that, I did *Winter's Tale* and *Othello* and. Um, Twelfth Night, which I did with Richard Wilson. So over the years, I've done I've done several plays with them, um, and played Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet, and and all of those characters are fantastic fight scenes. So so I got to to, to learn my skills uh, through that. That must be quite amazing, um, you know, recreating some of those. Uh, they are major plays you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, and it's all also very very daunting it's you know when people come and see you do a, a character at the RSC you're very aware of the weight of all the other you know actors who have played those parts on that stage before you so yeah it's daunting as well as being exciting so I wasn't aware until two or three years ago that the Royal Shakespeare Company actually did other things other than Shakespeare um, Actually, one of the plays that I actually went to see was about the Russian space program, which was really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about uh, the RSC, is that you kind of think about it as just a Shakespeare, uh, you know, Shakespeare producing company, but of course it's so not. I mean, Shakespeare is its core, uh, but it's also the ethos of what it does. So. So it finds classics from all different uh, cultures. Uh, they recently did a season of uh, Roman plays by, by um, old Italian playwrights. And, and that's the kind of, I mean, it's all about <clears throat> ex excavating, reinterpreting and showing the world plays that haven't really been performed before. 
they're all classics in their own right and that also goes for the modern plays that they, that they have commissioned you know they're, they're classics in their own right it's just that they they won't be known as classics for many many years to come but yeah that's, that's their ethos yeah now going quickly back to Game of Thrones did you have any idea that it would become as huge as it has actually become oh we knew the books were were big I remember back in the day looking for the you know the books because I wanted to do some research I'd never heard of them before and um, and it, of course Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin were, was number one on the bestsellers list in Waterstones so at that time I realised oh okay so this has got a big following I think it had been around for 10 years already by that point but of course we had no idea that it was going to be anything more than uh, I don't know I, I, I just a successful TV show the difference of it being a cultural phenomenon is and no one expected that and I don't think anyone can plan for it you see television companies all over the world desperately trying to replicate the success of their big shows but there's no formula for it no you know there's no formula for it it's something it's, it's like a, it's like magic it's just all about all the right things happening at the right time catching the zeitgeist and, and people's imagination in a certain way and Game of Thrones did that and uh, it's still amazing to us to this day that, that it has captured, people, captured people's imagination as it has it was very strange because at the time when it was released there was a couple of other TV shows in a similar ilk coming out there was one based around Camelot and yeah, all that exactly. kind of stuff everyone thinks they you know but you know these things don't work it takes something very special it's like you know I would hate to be a showrunner in this day and age because it's very difficult the, the most important thing is that you have great writers uh, David and Dan the, 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 the writers and creators of uh, Game of Thrones along with HBO along with their, uh, their, their you know the Northern Ireland settings and crew and studios along with everything everything goes to making that show what it is and the level of detail the commitment that HBO gave it that said you know we're willing to commit to this and we're, we're not going to go do that one year and then next year we're going to tell you whether you're recommissioned and the next year they, they, they had a long term vision for it they knew that they were going to tell the whole story they're committed to it and that is why it's a successful show it doesn't happen by accident people really need to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to TV shows and, and, a lot, and there's a lot of a lot at risk and so it's understandable why uh, TV producers don't make those commitments but it does make a difference when they do and it's only companies now like your Amazons and your Netflix that are really really willing to make that risk and also have the money to make it as well that's That's true (laughs) and that's why you're seeing such good content coming out of them already that's awesome God help us when Apple start getting into making movies because which they are and and, I mean they have all the money in the world to make so hopefully the quality will be fantastic but we'll see (laughs) well Maltos it's it's fantastic talking with you and um, yeah hope to see you again at another convention it was a pleasure talking to you thank you 
So yeah, that was Miltos Yorolimir. He's a really lovely guy to talk to. I've, I've seen him at other events, but I've not had the uh, opportunity to speak with him. And um, I'm glad I did because mm-hmm. it was, as he said, it wasn't all about the shows that he's been in uh, because he was talking about the Royal Shakespeare Company, which to actually talk to somebody who's been involved with the Royal Shakespeare Company, which is a big deal, to be on with, honest with you. I mean, their productions are spectacular. It, it was really nice talking with him. I talked to him a little bit off of... Uh, recording as well and uh, yeah he really is a nice guy it sounds like it so that leads us nicely on to our next interview Uh, and this this guy is Michael Hembury now the recording on this is a little bit low. Um, I had difficulty talking to him because uh, of the width of the desk. I couldn't really get the microphone to him too well. But it's, So it's a little bit low, but um, have a listen to this. So I'm back at High Wycombe, and I'm with Michael Hembry. How are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you very much. Now, Michael, you've been in many films and, and, and television programs and things but what you're really famous for is is uh, the Star Wars movies well Return of the Jedi was obviously my my first movie and um, it's got magic memories for me that's um, followed me all through my life and that's pretty much what most people talk to you about is it um, in all honesty the one they talk to me a lot about is um, Labyrinth the one with David Bowie um, I think, especially with women, they, they love that movie. So um, it is a classic movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I could name the movies in starring, I would have chosen Labyrinth, Willow, Harry Potter, and Star Wars, and I did all those. So I couldn't be more pleased to be if you asked me to. You know, it's um, been a great experience. I'm, I'm very lucky. So, what's it like being in something as as big as as the movies that you've been in? It's a, it's a magical feeling. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have a full-time job. I work for UK Border and um, the movies were like an added extra, which obviously um, I did five in total, and it's been a while since you know, I've done any filming. Um, and the sci-fi circuit is almost like um, it's made it all magical again, so I could be happier. And uh, obviously you've also been in Harry Potter as well. Correct, yeah. And that must have been quite magical as well. It was. The makeup, however, did take five hours. Wow. And um, that was a little bit, especially at 4am in the mornings, to, um, to be ready. You've worked with some of the big directors and stuff. I mean, obviously working with some of the creature workshops and things. Uh, you, you worked with uh, Mr Henson himself. Jim Henson is my favourite character from a director's point of view. He was a really lovely family. Um, I've got very fond memories of Jim, and it was so sad when he died. Yeah, and uh, fortunately his his legacy lives on, but, um, I mean, uh, I've heard that they're going to be... Well, not remaking, but making a television series based around the Dark Crystal, which will be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I heard of the same rumour. I think they were thinking about doing another labyrinth at one point. Um, but I'm glad, to me, that is a one-off iconic film and it should be left alone. I think that's the same in, on a lot of movies, though. The, the, the movie uh, companies tend to go, well, that was good, let's do some more of it. Yeah. And when it's a, a classic like that, yeah. you leave yeah. it alone. Just leave it alone. I would not do that, yeah. yeah. 
I think there's also a rumour now that they might be a Willow 2 as well. I don't know if that's true, but we'll see. Well, Warwick would love that. Warwick's my agent, so as long as he gets me involved, I wouldn't mind. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Right, thank you very much. Thank you. Right now. Sounded fine. Yeah, it was a, a bit low in places, but um, yeah, he's a lovely guy. Really lovely guy. He sounds cool. Uh, and, and once again, I've seen him at other conventions, and he, he's always got a lot of people around him, and it's sometimes difficult to get an interview. Whilst it was quiet there, I just took the opportunity and uh, just asked him whether he would mind talking with us, and he nice. was quite happy to. I don't know if I was surprised or not when he said that he gets asked more about Labyrinth than any of the other movies that he's been in. I've been trying to look to see what movies he's been in, and I can't find anything. So I don't know if Google is simply failing me now <laughs> or what. Um, he was in Harry Potter. He right, I heard he said that. Was that. Willow, Return of the Jedi, uh, Time Bandits. Um, oh, wow. I mean, which makes sense, all things considered. For those who don't know, he is uh, Britain's shortest dad at, what is he, two feet, ten inches tall? Yeah. All the movies you mentioned had roles for little people. Yeah. So that makes sense. What was his role in Labyrinth? Like, just one of the townsfolk? I'm uh, oh, sorry, not Labyrinth. Willow? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd imagine he was just one of the townsfolk. And Labyrinth, I guess he was one of the goblins. Yeah. And it's really good when he was saying, uh, when we're talking about the possibility of a, a second Willow movie, <laughs> and he was saying that uh, Warwick Davis is his agent, so as long as he gets me yeah, a part in it... <laughs> I would not mind another Willow movie. It was a good film. It really it was. was. Everybody said it was going to flop when it uh, came out, but no, it did well. Well, now I'm curious. It probably did better as a cult movie, if you know what I mean. I think I think it's one of those. Yeah, it's a fun popcorn movie. If you like, if you like fantasy movies, yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like if you were watching one of the old Disney Stored in the Stone, the Black Cauldron, you mm-hmm. know, those kind of movies, which I love. I mean, uh, that's an understated Disney movie, the Black Cauldron. Well, that was dark. Yeah, it was. That's probably why a lot of people are like, oh, that's not really Disney. Oh, there we are. Uh, Willow was made for $35 million, U.S. box office 57 So, yeah, that's one of those that... Kind of like the last Starfighter. Don't say that's, it didn't, a, that's it didn't another really good movie. do well in the box office, but just exploded on home video. Yeah, it is a good movie, and there's, there's another one that I love. Uh, a lot of people slate uh, is Explorers uh, with um, Ethan Hawke about 1986. I want to say 85, 86. About a group of kids that um, have these dreams uh, about circuitry and stuff, and they work out how to put the circuit boards together, and it actually creates a spacecraft or the ability to make a spacecraft go into space with uh, oxygen and stuff in it and uh, they meet up with some teenage aliens oh wow Ethan Hawke River Phoenix Jason wow music by Jerry Goldsmith yeah directed by Joe Dante holy Mm. cow I like it a lot of people don't but I, I think it's a good movie I'll be quite honest. I don't recall ever hearing about it. <laughs> According to this, it didn't even make ten million at the U.S. box office. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty much slated, and uh, huh. I, I love it. <laughs> and once again, it attracted a cult following when it was later released on VHS. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's funny. Just like another favorite of mine, Crawl. Oh, that is a good movie as well. Highly underrated, bombed at the box office, totally bombed. A lot of but those movies. I did, love though. it. A lot of those movies of, of that kind of ilk didn't do well I mean Hawk the Slayer that that didn't do well yeah uh, we kind of got 
but that was when we were converting over more to science fiction and that kind of st- you know fantasy movies well traditionally fantasy movies have never done fantastic mm-hmm. I mean it, I guess Lord of the Rings is the only real exception to that but uh, I mean yeah. they've never really done super fantastic jobs at the box office but yeah that's it's all good so that, that was cool that he he was in a lot of movies that we like yeah <laughs> definitely So we're back at uh, High Wycombe and uh, I'm, I'm with Andrew Lee Potts. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you, sir. How are you? <laughs> Excellent. Now, you've been in quite a lot of different things. Uh-huh. Most people will probably know you either from Primeval or, or Band of Brothers. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been involved in? Oh, gosh, all sorts. I'm not going to go into <laughs> I've been very lucky. The last thing I think on TV was Stanley's Lucky Man. Yeah. I uh, play a hitman in that, which is cool. I'm in a show called The Innocence, which is coming out uh, in August on Netflix. Nice. And that's got Guy Pearce in it and loads of other fantastic people. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that was a cool thing. Um, so, yeah, I get, I get about a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, Primeval was a strange kind of show. Mm. Um, and it kind of had a resurrection as well, didn't it? It did, yeah. It got, it got uh, shelved for a year. Um, and then, yeah, it got kind of rebooted in a, in a way a year later, which was fantastic for me because I got to go to Vancouver and shoot uh, Sci-Fi's Alice where I played the Mad Hatter. So, yeah. for me, the year off was brilliant because I got to do one of my favourite jobs ever. So... For you, uh, on produ- production-wise, and directors and different things like that, what was the, the, the best experience you ever had uh, on set? On Primeval or um, any set? Any set. Oh, God, I can't remember half of it. Um, oh, I've got so many. I've worked with so many fantastic directors in, in over the years, and I've been... I've I played quite a lot of different types of characters, so I'm very lucky. Um, a lot of the characters I play are quite oddballs, so I get random characters, which is really interesting for me. Um, <coughs> Primeval, the experience on Primeval was a huge part of my life. I, I do, one thing I always do remember was when we came back for season two, um, and it was deemed a success, and then suddenly we were having action figures, and, and we got given the arc, which was our set, and it was like something out of James Bond, and we literally walked in, and like it was in, in, amazing it was like a good feeling going oh we're doing something right I think <laughs> so to have all that faith put in us so. I, I, was, I was smiling there when you mentioned action figures because to me you know you've made it when you've got an action figure apparently so yeah and I've got two <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no, that was very surreal walking around Sainsbury's walking past my action figure at the time so, yeah. <laughs> so um, say the, the innocence is, is all in the can and that's coming out yes it's, it's, it's uh, yeah I think they're finishing up the edit now so yeah it's all filmed yeah. so 
what's next for you? Work-wise, I'm doing a film in about a week uh, called Home and Sashes, which is an interesting, um, kind of a low-budget British film, um, kind of a passion project for the director, so I'm working on that. And then, yeah, I'm just back in the room auditioning, really, and seeing what the year throws at me. So I also do my web show, which is Wireless, which I produce and direct and star in with all my actor buddies, which keeps me busy. So, so Andrew, it's been an actual pleasure talking right, with you. No and uh, I won't keep any longer because I know you've got people that want to see you. And um, hopefully I'll see you again somewhere. Thank all you right? so much. Cheers, guys. I don't know if you're familiar with Primeval. Nope, doesn't sound familiar. It's a, uh, how can you describe Primeval? A cross between Stargate and Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh. Okay. It's basically there's uh, um, some kind of tear in time where um, different creatures manage to get into different realms and these guys are sent through that tear in the vortex or whatever to try and capture these dinosaurs or whatever creatures they are. Okay. I don't think it was made for the British market. What, Primeval? Yeah. No, according to this, it's uh, BBC and ITV. Really? I'm just going by what I'm reading here. Okay, because um, it seemed very big budget for a, for a British show. <laughs> no, produ- produced for ITV. Wow. Yeah, so he was in that. He was in Band of Brothers. He was in uh, the uh, Alice in Wonderland TV show, which was very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so he's involved in lots of things. He was saying oh, wow. this new thing that he's in with Guy Pearce and lots of other people. And uh, yeah, he's very busy. Yeah, he has been busy. <laughs> wow. It's been a lot of stuff. I, I mentioned earlier that there was another guy that uh, we spoke to that's going to be at Phil the Force Day in uh, October. And this is the guy I was talking about. Have a listen to this. So once again, I'm at Wickham Film and TV Con, and I'm with Sandeep Mohan. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Not lovely to be here. What would people most likely know you from? A strange one. I've been doing TV and film for 10 years now, but obviously my, my so-called claim to fame, I think, was the number of Stormtrooper characters I played in Star Wars The Force Awakens. So as I've done lots of TV over the years, people have noticed, but I think it was Star Wars, which for me is a, is a big dream come true. That's when I started getting noticed to that degree, so yeah. And I've noticed that you've got a backing card for proper action figures now I've mentioned it to other people once you have a action figure you know you've made it <laughs> uh, you like to think so uh, it's just a to be honest it's a privilege to be part of such a lovely franchise and I see for me I went to see the original film in 1977 so to come full circle uh, and to be uh, offered and obviously auditioned and to get a part in uh, in, in Star Wars has been a dream come true but yeah there, there's lots of whether it be pop figures there's all sorts of figures out there which as I said it's uh, you've got to pinch yourself sometimes so yeah so tell me about the, the process of getting selected for a movie like that um, I was told by by an agent that they're making a film called Star Wars it's been a long time and I said I, I have to get into this film and uh, it was a very very it, at first, I thought it was going to be a very easy process to do your audition, you know, do what you've got to do, and hopefully get a chance to be in the movie. But it was a very tough audition process. Um, the r- rumor has it, I think over 500 applied for uh, to be a stormtrooper. Uh, 90 went for the audition, and over a number of days, 90 went to 75, 50, 25, and then the final 10 got picked. 
and I was lucky enough to be picked. So. That's awesome. Now, you say you've done a, a few star, uh, Stormtrooper roles. Take us through the, the types that you've been cast as. Well, in, uh, obviously in, in The Force Awakens, uh, I was privileged to play so many different ranks. So whether it be a Stormtrooper officer, uh, squad leader, lieutenant, uh, captain uh, and Stormtrooper. And some really iconic scenes whereby, I don't know if people remember, but when Kylo Ren is having a hissy fit, the two troopers walking down the corridor, minding their own business and then turn round. Bit of a comedy sketch, but I'm so pleased uh, that made it to the final cut. So myself and David Santana did, did that. Uh, oh, wow, that was you. Oh, that, was, <laughs> that actually was uh, an amazing scene. <laughs> I love that bit. Now, you was also in Rogue One, mm-hmm. um, which for me is one of the, the better of the Star Wars films. Uh, I think it's up there with Empire Strikes Back, personally. It's, it's a strange one. I, I think, obviously, it's a lot darker, it's a lot grittier. Um, it's, it's probably how, in my, my generation, our films are made. But, uh, you know, there's a sadness element. So I find my age group absolutely loved the film. But I find a lot of children didn't like the film because of the sad nature. Unfortunately, lot, all the characters died, and, and that's you know. I, so I can see from both perspectives, but uh, I did find it. I did find it enjoyable to watch. That's for sure. Love Force Awakens. You know, that's that's where it started for me. But uh, a different feel altogether on, on Rogue One. So in Rogue One, where were you actually on set? Where? Well, we did. Uh, contrary to a lot of people been telling me or asking me, have I been to? Uh, the Seychelles and the Maldives and I said well I wish it was that I wish it was, that was the case but most of it was at Pinewood Studios in West London which is where Star Wars is, is essentially made now because um, I know some of it was filmed at Canary Wharf which was uh, unbelievable when you think about it well uh, again the, the, the other so called Nope Trooper uh, David Santana had some really good scenes uh, at Canary Wharf uh, but you'd never think someone would be filming there uh, so the whole ethos about this is um, it, there's such a, you know, including myself, such a big following in terms of the Star Wars story and the sagas involved. But the locations they choose sometimes are weird and wonderful. And obviously London is, a, is the hub of filmmaking, I suppose, and they always come to London to do filming. So, yeah. So it's, it's not just Star Wars that you've been involved in. I mean, I can see that you, you were in Harry Potter... Um, and other things you know, Wonder Woman Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. so many amazing franchises um, yes yeah, it's, a, it's a privilege to be asked to, 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 to do your, whatever part you have uh, but it's, uh, it's one of those I've got a tick box list that what films would I like to do and where, where will I get an opportunity and yes it's, it's, been, it's been great they've touched varied projects uh, you know, Guardian of the Galaxy I've never seen costumes and these are one-offs that they, they make the time they make these costumes the ideas behind the costumes and they look so fantastically crazy but obviously it works in that film but yes it's a privilege to be asked to do these projects and uh, I, I absolutely hope fingers crossed I keep going well I, th- I think you've got a, a good list of films that you've been in for people to keep coming back to you you know, for, for me um, to be it's a part of Star Wars to start off which was great to, to, to get asked to attend Comic Cons again I said it's, it's a privilege to be asked to speak to, I'm a big fan of well, but speak to fans about your experiences um, is an amazing situation so uh, as I said fingers crossed still, there's a few more projects still in me uh, but we will see how we go well Sandeep it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you 
Thanks for the talk to you as well. And uh, I will see you again at another convention. I hope so too. Thanks. 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 He's been in a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, my God, Skyfall, World War Z, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spectre, Doctor Strange, Wonder Woman. Wow, he's he's been in a lot. Yeah, and uh, he, he's really easy to talk to as well. Strangely, I started to talk to him about Phil the Force Day, and uh, he said, you know, I think I'm signed up for that, but I haven't had any word back from him yet. So I said, I know the guys that run it. Do you want me, to have, a, do you want me to have a word? Went back to Simon. Simon said, yeah, he's on the books. Went back to Sandeep, and he said, oh, cheers for that. So <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Talked to him for quite a while after the recording as well, and uh, he said, oh, I look forward to seeing you in October. So, uh, yeah, great. To think that he was in that scene where Kylo Ren was throwing that stuff about and, and uh, those two stormtroopers turned around and went, yeah, he's, uh, he's having one of his turns again. Let's uh, go back the other way. To think that was kind of ad-libbed and it made it into the final cut. Hmm. But then Star Wars is famous for a few ad-libs, especially where Harrison Ford's involved. It's good to see that a scene like that was kept in. <laughs> That's nice that he was one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> For this event, they kind of moved away from the comic book side of things, but they did have some comic book creators there. And uh, as you know, I like to talk to more independent mm-hmm. comic book uh, creators. So granted, if uh, anybody from Marvel or DC or any of those would like to talk to us, that would be fantastic. But, yeah, uh, would. <laughs> we do like to support up-and-coming independent comic book creators. Well, you know, not just comic books. Hello, look at that whole uh, PAX East episode we had. Oh, yeah. That's what we're here for, really, is to to try and bring out the best of everything that's out there. And if we can get the word out there about these independent creators of anything to do with the genre that we're talking about, whether it be sci-fi, whether it be fantasy, whether it be whatever, we're there for them. So this is uh, one of those people that we're talking about is... Uh, a comic book creator have a listen to this so here i am again at wickham film and tv con and i'm with asa wheatley who's a comic book writer tell us a bit about uh, your uh, creation uh, so it's a comic book uh, it's the first of four in a series uh, it's called tales of mystery it's about a private detective that gets trapped in the body of a black cat awesome so the ones you've got here, are these the first issues? or are Yes, yeah, so it's the first issue we launched in February of this year. Uh, this is our fourth convention of the year. We go to anything that we can get to, really big ones, small ones. So like today we're at Wickham Comic Con, which is one of the smaller ones, but it's been a really good day so far for us. So when it comes to the, the other issues that you're going to be bringing out of, of this series... Are you going to base it just on sales, or are you, have you got other outlets to, to, to raise money for funding? Um, I think at the moment we're just we're just doing it ourselves. So we're just any money that we make from uh, from the, this first issue that's out is just going to go into making the rest of them. Um, so it's part one of four, like I said. We're working on number two at the moment. And. Is it solely for sale in the UK or can other countries purchase them? Uh, other countries can purchase them. Uh, if you go to uh, my website, it's asawheatley.com. Uh, you can find on there, I've got a store, and uh, you can buy it any country. Awesome. Now, um, have you been involved with other publications as well? 
Uh, not yet. Um, this is the first thing that we've done. So myself and Kat Willett, who's the artist, uh, we've been working on this for a little while. And uh, this is the first comic that we've published, but we've both got stuff that we would like to do and plan on working on in the future. But we're focusing on getting number two out first. Awesome. Um, I've noticed you've got um, other merchandise there because you've got those uh, the, the badges with the, with the cat motif on the, on them, which is quite a striking, um, quite a striking image actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all it's all from Cat's artwork, which is is amazing, and it's it's the kind of thing that we've got the comic. That's that's obviously our main focus, and that's the thing that we've kind of put our heart and soul into. But you know, a lot of people like prints, a lot of people like badges. It's it's just another way to draw those people in and hopefully get them to give the comic a chance. Awesome. You've got the the other three issues coming out. Um, when do you think you'll, you'll get the series complete? How long, what time span do you think on that? The sooner the better. <laughs> the sooner the better, honestly. Um, it took us probably longer than we'd like to finish the first. But as, it's the kind of thing, as soon as uh, anyone who wants to write or draw or do anything to do with comics, as soon as you've done something, it makes it so much easier. As soon as you can see that, like, oh, I've, I've managed to do this, it's, it's come out really nicely it just makes everything a lot easier so we're working on number two at the moment we hope to have it done and printed by the end of the year and then we're just gonna we're just gonna keep working on all the others as well brilliant now have you got any advice for aspiring comic book writers uh yeah it's it's gonna sound uh silly but it's 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 nike said it best just do it just, just try it. Just do, do what you can. Uh, if you can find an artist who's willing to work with you, then that's great. Uh, if you're just a writer, if you're an artist, just write something simple for yourself. Don't, don't think that you have to make this grand opus. Uh, don't make a 200-page graphic novel that has to be read six times to be fully understood. Just make something nice, something simple, something that's maybe got a little bit of a catch or a little bit of a hook. So Tales of Mystery obviously is quite easily sum upable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it's it's just getting out makes it so much more real and so much easier for you to then go, I'm gonna do more, I'm gonna do the other thing. And every time we go to a convention and we're speaking to people who are picking up the book or speaking to other creators, it, it is just so inspiring to be to to get you into the mood to do it more and every time we go to a convention we, we just wanna do more and more and more and more but it is it is a case of you just have to do it sometimes the the work is hard you won't get anything back immediately but when somebody picks up something that you've done that you've never met before it's a great feeling that's brilliant well Asa thanks for talking with us thank you for having me what he was saying there about just getting up and doing it I mean it's, it's the same with podcasting really isn't it <laughs> pretty much uh, you get your first few out the way and it becomes easier <laughs> it's a bit painful listening back to some of the early ones I don't even do that I <laughs> they're done they're in, they're in the past so I don't want to worry about them but it is nice to talk to some of these independent people and mm-hmm. 
And like you were saying at, at PAX East, these guys are more likely to talk to you to, than some of the big boys. And uh, I think it comes from the heart a bit more as well. Yeah, because for most of them, that's their own personal project. Whereas you, you talk to the big ones, they've got hundreds of people working on, on a, a piece of whatever the intellectual property is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we always try and do that. When, whenever we ever go to events, and I know you do, John, because a lot of the games that you play are more from the independent side of things. And it's the same right across the board. If we can find independent creators of any shape or form, we will do our best to promote them. Mm-hmm. Talking of which, yeah. leads us very nicely on to the next interview. So once again, I'm at Wickham Film and TV Convention, and I am with Tara King from an, an outlet called Skewers Steampunk. Hiya, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. So tell me a little about what you actually do. We make handmade um, jewellery for steampunks, and we also have findings so you can create your own masterpieces. We try and make things a little bit special, so if we can make badges, twist, turn, we can make things like um, a proper key lock. All these things can then be added to your costumes, and um, either as a badge, or they can be added onto your um, arm pads. With um, some people have braces, and they attach them to that, or to their gums. As you can see, I also paint Nerf guns. These are all fully working, and they can also be added to your costumes with a leather harness. Wow, so it's just a standard Nerf gun that's been, well, to put it another way, pimped up, basically. Exactly. It's your standard plastic Nerf gun that basically we paint, and then we, um, we cover it with a clear varnish. They're fully working, so... Basically, they're just children's toys, but for adults. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) To be quite honest with you, most people who buy Nerf guns, they say it's for their children. (laughs) It's not, trust me. (laughs) We have too much fun playing with these at home. (laughs) Basically, we have to try them all out. At least that's what I tell all the customers, just to make sure they work. (laughs) So in front of us here, we've got these um, trays of uh, all the different bits and pieces that you can uh, make. Uh, different badges and stuff with that's correct how many different types of of pieces have you have you got we've got hundreds basically everything from the very large findings which could be um lockets it could be an airship a pair of scissors penny farthing octopus right the way down to the smallest little jump ring Basically, we also do MDF cogs, so you can create goggle inserts, or you can use them as a backing for a badge. We have the pins and all of the um, cogs that you might need. We also have filigrees. Now, they're funny little things, but they can be bent, so you can create things like um, claws for your nails, things like that, which um, you know are very decorative, but so simple to use. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of people, they go to shows and they buy findings and I see their husbands stood behind them, rolling their eyes and thinking, (laughs) not another lot from this woman. (laughs) But you can never have too many findings. Basically, you just have a large box with lots of bits and pieces in, 
it's like a bottle tin for adults really it is absolutely <laughs> really spectacular to look at all these because you've got like these cogs and things in, in, in different shades so you've got like chrome you've got gold you've got uh, bronzed um, a brass it's, it's just fantastic to see in all these different shades of um, of metal really but the, the, as you say they're, they're not actually metal are they they're some of them are. I mean, some of the cogs, for instance, the copper and the brass, can actually be polished up to a very high standard. As you'll see on some of the badges, I've actually polished up some of these cogs, and they have a really, really high brass content, so they can look very shiny, like the ring down here right. showing you. This started its life just as one of these cogs, but with a little bit of elbow grease, it's shiny. It is, yeah, wow. It's like these other rings. This is just, a, it's not a copper spring, it's copper wire bought from somewhere like Hobbycraft. Yeah. Um, you just you put it on something very thin, like a pencil, and you wind it around very tightly, snip it off, and it creates a long spring, and then you can attach it to your badges. Oh, wow. That's pretty effective, isn't it? Very simple, but like you say, effective. But then some of the some of the best ideas are very simplistic in their exactly. concept. But I mean, this is what it's all about in the mu- in the movie industry, the, making the most effective things with with the funds that you've got. Exactly. <laughs> and it's fun. At the end of the day, anyone of any age can do it. It just takes some imagination. Really? And that's what steampunk's all about. Well, Tara, thanks for talking with My us. My pleasure. It was lovely to meet you. And you? Tara King, she was uh, amazing, actually, because uh, I'd never seen so many little boxes of stuff to mm-hmm. make different things with. I will put in the show notes, there's some photographs of the, the rings and things that she was talking about. And um, I've shown it to you before, and it's actually on our Facebook and Twitter profile picture. She actually made a rocket-shaped pin badge, which looked very similar to our TGP nominal logo which was really nice yep it's just amazing the kind of thing that she does and she she actually is kitted out in the, the steampunk Victoriana kind of image as well um, her costume that she wore there was also at the event a steampunk stormtrooper which was bizarre yeah that's <laughs> awkward needless <laughs> to say though I went straight to their website and went right to the painted nerf guns <laughs> they are cool aren't they they are really, really nice. She really knows her stuff when it comes to painting stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I want the rifle. <laughs> the really the the long rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want that one. That's nice. And why should kids have all the fun? You know. <laughs> are you kidding? Where I, the one place where I used to work, we used to have Nerf battles. <laughs> you know, we we'd bring them in and just as long as as long as we didn't get other people who weren't, you know. People who are, I guess, too, a bit too adult for Nerf guns. Mm-hmm. And as long as it didn't get out of hand, every now and then a couple of darts would go across and you know, all good fun. Yeah, it's, that's what it's all about. And uh, I'd, I'd never thought about uh, actually approaching someone involved in making things like that before. And then when I saw what she actually produces, I was just blown away by it, to be honest with you. So much time and effort goes into everything oh, that yeah. she does. And she goes to a lot of these steampunk festivals and uh, uh, lots of things that she gets involved in. And um, people actually approach her about projects that they want to 
create themselves and uh, want some advice and she's always there to, to help so um, it's brilliant yeah I mean some of those those pocket watches are gorgeous mm, they are yeah that, that's some really cool stuff I can only imagine the amount of work she puts into those yeah so Alan we're at the end of the day mm. uh, your thoughts okay small venue small event big on talent big on outreach and very very positive like it a lot it's a pretty good venue isn't it it's, it's, it's not far from the actual main town centre itself that's right very accessible from public transport I yeah. mean there's three bus stops along here plus it's less than five minutes from the train station mm. Brilliant. so yeah and it's in it's in a it's in a nice building as well you know it's a it's an older building but it's very functional it's doing its job really well and everybody's um everybody's working really well the whole team you know even down to the people that just kind of stood on the door yeah you know everybody seems up positive happy it's great the the actual building we're in at the moment or we're outside of it at the moment is the uh it used to be the town hall okay and um it, it was acquired by um the Wickham Swan which is the main uh, theatre mm-hmm. and uh, they, they use it as a conference hall or if, if you want a, um, a theatre stage but not quite a big audience uh, this is the, the venue they use yeah great, so, great stuff thanks for inviting me to come down today I've really enjoyed it it's, uh, we've got some good shops which I will obviously get to you as soon as possible and uh, yeah it's been nice to talk to talk to the celebs and the and the backstage crew let's hope that next year they go on to bigger better things absolutely and uh, yeah we, we can't praise the people involved in in this event enough and uh, hopefully they'll have us back next year yay now i wanted to mention a couple of outlets that uh, i didn't actually get on uh, on the recording one of them i i did actually record something but for some reason the file corrupted and uh, didn't come out so i really apologize to these guys for that and it's a company called prop stop hire they had a, a stand there uh, they had a harry potter stand they had uh, an et there that you could have your photo taken with et he was the guy that had the proton pack from ghostbusters which you keep hearing in the background every now and then. And that's on the front page of their website. (laughs) Not only does it make the noises of a proton pack, it has got the entire soundtrack to Ghostbusters 1 and 2 built into it. Yeah, there's the proton pack. That is nice. Yeah, this guy, he actually buys a lot of his stuff from auctions. So prop auctions and things, so that then he can mm-hmm. hire them out for people's events and things, which is really nice. So uh, I'm going to put a link to them in the, in the show notes because I really feel bad. I think I spent about five minutes with him, him talking about the different things and how he Aww. actually gets the props from different places and stuff. And uh, yeah, I really do feel bad about that. So I only thought it'd be right that uh, I put a link to them. Yeah, we'll the give show. him credit anyway. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention was a company called My Geeky Shelf. Not My Geeky Self, My Geeky Shelf. I didn't get to speak to these guys, but what they produce is absolutely wonderful they create handmade crocheted comic book and film characters (laughs) you've got to see them to believe it to be honest everything from harley quinn to guardians of galaxy to star wars there's audrey hepburn 
They are fantastic. Oh, wow. Look at the... Uh, and you know who they are just by looking at them. Yeah. The detail is amazing, considering it's crocheted. Jack Skellington. There's there's Ray. Oh, wow. I looked at the stand and I thought, wow, this is great. And there was always somebody there, so that it was very difficult to, to talk to them. But um, I'll be definitely looking out for them at other cons and seeing if I can actually have a word with them, because they deserve a bit of a, a mention because they are brilliant oh wow moana oh yeah i'm looking at their instagram right now i mean yeah considering that they're just crocheted you could i mean granted superheroes you'll you'll identify them but even the the non-superheroes you know who they are just by looking at them yep nice oh god my little pony my daughter love it <laughs> Freddie Mercury, get out. (laughs) I saw that, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) So I just thought I'd give them a mention before we wrap this part of the show up. Thanks again, everybody that was involved in that this this year, their first year. I think you've done yourself really proud. Well, I mean, obviously being movie and TV related it's, it's definitely more up my alley especially when it comes to my show so <laughs> I, I'd, I'd have I'd have stuff to talk about there no that, that seemed to be really really cool Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire we specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs whether it be field recordings fox pops or capturing the atmosphere during social events editing is a very time consuming job so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.weebly.com That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com Right, it's nearly time to wrap up the show, but before we go, um, I know Ross mentioned this briefly in his uh, Sky Guide at the beginning of the month, Park Life Weekend that takes place at Vale Park in my hometown of Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire. The event will start at 12 o'clock noon on Saturday the 25th of August, which is a free music extravaganza with over 12 bands taking part and i say again it's a free event in addition to the live music there will be free traditional funfair rides and loads of free activities games fun and entertainment which is provided by local businesses charities and organizations volunteers from buckinghamshire disability service or buds will be helping to make an event that is accessible for all so there'll be inclusion with a variety of facilities and procedures to ensure that everyone can enjoy this event alongside their family and friends on the saturday evening it's stars in the park where you can join our friends at uk astronomy to find out more about the stars planets and the solar system now they'll also be doing stuff during the day they'll be doing um, solar observation weather permitting and uh, also weather permitting with the stars and stuff as well but uh, uk astronomy are hoping to be camping out all night so they'll be watching the skies all night and then on the sunday there is the banquet in the park which is a chance to feast on a selection of fine multicultural dishes provided free by the different ethnic groups in the Owsbury area. Sunday also sees the introduction of Strongman in the Park, a charity fire truck pool, 
Tug of War and Tests of Strength, which is organised by Devaney Strength alongside the Aylesbury Fire Department from uh, 12 noon until 1pm. The entire weekend comes to its finale with proms in the park where you'll be invited to bring picnics, rugs and flags uh, and your singing voices of course for this great British tradition with a 45 piece concert band, soloist and a surprise guest in the interview for a performance. A spectacular firework display will finish the entire weekend at 9.30pm uh, on that Sunday evening as well. So it's going to be a great weekend and uh, both TGP Nominal and the Garbage Pod are involved. Uh, we're hopefully going to be talking to some of the acts that are involved and uh, some of the people behind the scenes there as well. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. Cool. Someday, someday, we'll get over there. <laughs> so I think now it is time to wrap up the show. Thanks to you, John, for coming on board and uh, being part of TGP Nominal once again. Hard to believe we're approaching five years of you putting up with me. <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult to believe that it is nearly five years doing the podcast. As always, thanks to everyone out there for listening to us for those five years. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always good to get the response that we get from you, some of the feedback. And we have now, this year, had over 50,000 downloads. Nice. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to argue with that one at all. No, it, it does blow me away when I think about it. And we, we've got to be doing something right. So we just got to see where the next year takes us. So all that leads me to say is, once again, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you all again real soon. Doodles! Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.